Thanks, Jason. Uh, just to reiterate what Jason said, I really do hope you'll all make plans to come to the parenting conference, uh, at least parents, um, and invite your friends, you know, your, your family members. We really do want this to be something that is uh, for our community, so please invite anybody that you can. Uh, a little bit more details on that. The tickets are $40 per person, which gets you into Friday night conference, Saturday morning conference, and Saturday night concert, all of it together, and includes babysitting. So we will have childcare available at the church office for, for at least the Friday night and Saturday morning portions. Uh, you can visit Church Center or um, our website for a little more information on that, but uh, please mark your calendars for that. And then one more kind of quick um, announcement, it's kind of a two-part announcement. First is really an exciting part, is that the school is going to start, I think tomorrow, at replacing these air conditioners. And so, yeah, right? Exactly. And listen to this. Not only are they going to replace the air conditioners with, so that there's cool air that comes in here, um, imagine that, but also I've, the rumor is they're moving the air handlers outside so it'll be quiet too, so quiet and cool all together at the same time, which would be amazing. So that's uh, really wonderful to look forward to. Now, here's the one little caveat. Please make sure that you're checking your email this week because uh, if you've ever had any work done on your home or business, uh, you know that it sometimes lasts a little longer than they say it might. So there's a possibility that they may not be done by next Friday. Uh, if that's the case, I don't know what's going to happen, but, uh, but please be on the lookout for, uh, for, for news about that. Make sure you've got, you know, kind of your eyes peeled for any announcement coming from Hope. All right, that's out of the way. We'll jump into God's Word this morning. If you're just joining us, or maybe you've been here a couple times this summer, we have been in a series on the Ten Commandments. We've been looking at God's law and the beautiful foundation of God's law that we started with, that He has redeemed His people from, is, from Egypt removed them from slavery, and now has given them the way that they are to live as free people. And we've seen that these are not just a few rules to check the boxes for the Old Testament people of God. These are actually wonderful, uh, wonderful things for us to embrace as God's people now. Not, again, to check the boxes so that we might find ourselves righteous in our own eyes, but so that we might be conformed to the Lord who loves us. So I'm going to read through to the sixth commandment. I'll start in verse 2 and read through to verse 13. This is God's word from Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates. 
For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. We ask that we would come humbly to sit under it, or that you would use your word as a sharp sword to pierce our hearts where necessary, so that you might heal what you wound with the beautiful balm of the gospel. Open our ears and our eyes and soften our hearts, Lord, that we might know you more deeply and might follow you more fully. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when we were in, in seminary in St. Louis, uh, my son Hampton, who's here, was about five at the time. And we had moved into, we had moved out of a house. We had actually lived in houses for all of his life. And we had moved into seminary housing, on campus housing that was apartment living. And so it was a bit of a shift for us. It was a little bit of a change, kind of going from a little bit bigger space to a little bit smaller space from having kind of our own place and our own house and a yard and all these things to living, you know, with six other families all in the same big building. And this building was, you know, kind of like you might see in a lot of apartment complexes. It actually looked like one really big house. There were a few units in this one big building. It had a front door, and you would go in, and there were different hallways and different doors. And so if you were kind of uninitiated to the way that apartment living worked, you might just kind of think, it's one nice big house. And to a five-year-old mind, that's pretty fun to kind of walk in and think, hey, I got a much bigger house, and there's all these other wonderful rooms for me to explore. Well, just so happened one day as I was studying at the kitchen table in, in, in our apartment, Hampton walked in wearing this really cool-looking Spider-Man outfit. And uh, he had other suits, other you know, super, superhero kind of suits that he loved to dress up in, but I'd never seen this one. And so I just said, hey, hey, buddy, what are you doing? And uh, he said, look at this cool Spider-Man outfit. And I said, uh, where'd, you, uh, where'd you get that Spider-Man outfit? And he said, uh, I got it from Josh Park's house. And I was like, oh, okay. So uh, was Josh home when you got the Spider-Man outfit? And he said, nope. And I said, so you just got the outfit out of Josh's room? And he said, no, out of his closet. (laughs) So to a five-year-old mind, you think, I can just go ahead and take whatever I want, right? Because it all belongs to me. (laughs) But of course, we know that that's not true. You can't just take whatever you want to take. And in many ways, that phrase kind of governs a lot of the commands we're going to look at for the rest of the summer. You can't just take the stuff or the wife or the house or the reputation of whatever person you want to take it from. And today we get to look kind of at the ultimate example of that. We are not allowed to just take life just because we want to. Uh, Your your scripture in front of you, if you've got a Bible in front of you, you may say, do not kill. It may say, do not murder, which is, I think, a better translation Uh, Really, probably the best translation of this is that there is to be no unauthorized killing. God tells his people, and he tells us, 
that we are not to take the lives of other human beings in a way that he is not authorized, and in fact, in a way that violates the justice that he is so, so fond of. Now, I do want to give a little caveat here to tell you that, uh, that the Bible does talk about killing in m- multiple ways. And this command does not deal with all forms of taking life. In fact, if you read through the Bible, maybe one of the things that's confused you about the Bible in some ways is that God sometimes commands his people to go to war, to take lives. Sometimes he commands even things like capital punishment. We're not talking about those things today, although I'd be happy to have that conversation with you over a cup of coffee sometime. And although we do look forward to a day where those things will not exist, where there will be no mourning, there will be no sadness, there will be no loss of life in any possible way, that's what we look forward to, a time where all will be well. But what we're looking at now, today, is the unauthorized, unjust taking of life. And I think it's appropriate that we start with what is probably the most prominent version of this in our world right now, which is the taking of unborn life, abortion. God's Word says clearly here in the Sixth Commandment and in other places like Psalm 139, in fact, you heard us sing that song, and you, O Lord, I'm found, words taken actually from Psalm 139, that before I was born, you knew me, you had my days planned out, you saw me, you formed me. David, the psalmist, says that about himself. He says, the Lord has formed me and knit my innermost parts even in my mother's womb. You can read all throughout the Bible that the unjust taking of life is the domination of the powerful over the weak, and God is always against that. But friends, unfortunately, we live in a time and a place where this happens a lot. I just want to give you some statistics here. I don't say this to be macabre. I just want us to know kind of where we are. So this year so far, in 2021, worldwide, so far, just halfway through the year, here are some statistics. 600,000 people have died from suicide in the world so far this year. Nearly a million and a half have died from alcohol-related deaths. Almost 3 million people have already this year died from cigarette-related deaths and 4.7 million from cancer. But that pales in comparison to the 24 million unborn children that have died this year through abortion. Just in the U.S. last year in 2020, stroke took 160,000 lives. COVID-19 took 375,000 lives. Cancer, almost double that at 600,000, and heart attack, the leading, or almost leading, at 700,000. And then depending on which statistics you see, somewhere between 600,000 and 800,000 children were killed by abortion. Friends, let me just just be plain. We, We have a murder problem in our world and in our country. The same number of lives that were lost to cancer and heart attack have been taken by abortion. This is something to lament. This is something to mourn over. And though, yes, we should be happy, those numbers are going down. We still need to realize this is an enormous issue. And what might be worse is that really our mentality about it has changed, has shifted pretty dramatically. 
There was a, a poll done in Canada a few years ago, small sample size, so take it for what it's worth. But in this poll, they were asked, people were asked uh, to, to describe things that are either always or usually morally wrong. And 51% of respondents said that using plastic straws was always or usually morally wrong. In that same poll, 26% said the same thing about abortion. So double the number of people in that poll thought that using plastic straws was morally wrong than thought that taking the life of an unborn child was morally wrong. These are big, weighty issues. Now let me just say, just again, <laughs> to make sure you know where I'm coming from, this is not a political argument. I have no political agenda in saying this. This is not political talk at all. It is simply biblical talk. And it's biblical talk because from the very first pages of Scripture, we see that God made human beings in His image. And so every person you see and every child in the womb and everybody you know and every person that has ever been born has been created in the image of their divine Creator. We bear the image of God with one another. We look at one another and we see regular people, but you know what? That's just not true. Listen to these words from C.S. Lewis. This is what he says about human beings. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, meaning that we are created in the divine image, to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with awe and the circumspection possible, proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals with whom we joke, with whom we work, marry, snub, or exploit. Friends, human beings are made in the image of God, and God likes His image. He loves humanity, and He wants us to love humanity. And he wants us to care for humanity. And he wants us to love life like he loves life. And he wants us to protect it like he wants it to pre protect it. So what do we do? Let's do a little application here. How do we respond to this? Well, let me say, first of all, if you have been involved either as a mother or a father in the process of abortion, I want you to know this first and foremost. And above all, if you hear nothing else today, hear this. Jesus loves you, and he can forgive you. He wants to lavish his amazing love and forgiveness on you. There is nothing that you can do that is out of his reach. There is nowhere that you can go that cannot be found by his incredible love and forgiveness. So all of your guilt, all of your shame, all of your anger, anything that you may have suppressed, all of your running, put it aside and come to Jesus and bring it all to him. He loves to love those who feel unlovable. All right, second thing. 
If you want to know more about how even to be a part of protecting life, I do need to pump up a really wonderful organization in our city, Options for Life. We, we just did a baby bottle campaign with them a couple of months ago, and they do such a great job of providing wonderful counseling and care and, and, and health services for, for pregnant mothers. And all the while actually doing such a good job of seeking to love these mothers and help them love their children as well. So if you want to be involved in the protection of life, then go and, and, and volunteer at Options for Life. They're almost always in need of volunteers and of giving. And then the third thing I would say is this, is that we probably need to also think about our concept of pro-life in a much bigger way. Because if we are going to protect life, if we're going to care about life the way God cares about it, we not only need to protect it, but we also need to promote it. So spending time loving single mothers who have made the decision to have a child is actually the promotion of life. Praying for and caring for the poor and the marginalized is the promotion of life. There's a reason why we actually, as a church, we give financially to Options for Life. We've also given financially to see a homeless shelter created in our city because we want to be holistically about loving and promoting and protecting life in our city. We want to see people flourish. So if you want to love what God loves, these are some things you can do. Pray for women to protect their children. Pray for the poor to actually get out of poverty. Pray for the marginalized to actually increase in their ability to care for themselves. Pray for the oppressed to be relieved from oppression. Pray for the flourishing of human life in general. Okay, are we done? We checked the box, didn't murder anybody, volunteered at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Let's wrap it up with a prayer and be done with this. Well, unfortunately, we can't be. Because actually, I think this command wants to even take us a step deeper. When I was a kid, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite rides, you know, at the fair, when the fair would kind of come around and they'd set up, you know, all these incredibly dangerous rides that none of us ever should have been riding. But my favorite, you know, really hands down was, was this, this, this thing. It was like a, it was like a big circle. And you walked in, into the circle, and everybody stood around the walls. Maybe some of you remember this. You stood around the walls, and then it just started to spin. And it would spin faster and faster, and it would spin so fast that you started to get pressed up against the wall, and so much that you could barely even move your arm, and I thought it was so cool that I was pressed against the wall. And then the bottom, the floor, would just drop out from under you, and you'd still be stuck on the wall. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I want you to pay attention to this. Because Jesus is about to drop the bottom out from under us. We heard it read earlier. I want to read it to you again. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus has just said that murder is not just about our hands, it's about our hearts. It's not just about the action of taking life. It's actually about the motivation, the thoughts, 
the meditations of our hearts and the way that we cultivate anger so oftentimes. What he's saying here is that the seed that grows into that terrible tree of murder, that same seed lives in all of our hearts and it may grow into a smaller, what we think is maybe a more manageable seed, a little bit more different tree, but you know what? It's the same seed. It has the same roots. The roots of anger in my heart are the same things that lead to murder in my hands. I read a story the other day about a man 76 years old, 76 years old, who was just put in prison for the rest of his life. He was married for 44 years. Everybody thought he had a great marriage. He had a successful job. He sold insurance. Everybody thought he was a great guy. He was a big member of the community. But he had kept a grudge for 50 years against one of his high school classmates. Way back in high school, 50 years before, they were on the track team. One guy was the star of the track team. This guy was the, the, the manager, the sports manager. And unfortunately, what so oftentimes seems to happen in locker rooms, people pull pranks on each other. And so, you know, one time they had all kind of gathered around, given this guy a wedgie, put a jock strap on his head, something stupid like that. But this guy had carried that with him for 50 years, and that little seed of anger, that little seed of being, you know, dishonored when he was younger had grown, and he had watered it, and he had cultivated it, and he had grown into deep resentment. And he had one day, 50 years later then, walked up to this man's house and shot him dead. That little seed of anger grew into that big tree of murder. But friends, here's the thing. That little seed's in my heart. That little seed is in my heart and it comes out in my children and my wife. It's come out in ways that I say things that are sharper than any sword could ever be that may have pierced somebody when I was in high school who's still thinking about it years later. My children, I've seen the fear in their face when they've seen the anger in mine. I've said words to my wife that I wish I could take back. It's those seeds of anger that grow into maybe a smaller tree. I've never shot anybody. I've never murdered anyone. But you know what, that tree in my heart looks a lot like the bigger, more dangerous, more dangerous, more awful tree. We actually need to go deeper. I don't want to. <laughs> I wish we could stop there. But I actually think God is calling us to see even more here. Because listen to this, whenever, whenever we have an ethical teaching in the Bible, we actually kind of have two things going on. See, so when the Bible gives us an ethical teaching, it gives us both the ceiling and the floor. Here's what I mean about that. The floor is kind of the thing that we don't want to go below, right? Do not murder. We don't want to go below that floor. So here's the hard floor here where don't go below that or there's punishment. But here's the, the truth is that, is that we're not called actually to stay on the floor. There is a ceiling to which we aspire as well. And that ceiling, God tells us, is that we are to love our neighbors, so not only are we not to murder or hate or be angry or say things like you fool to people, but there's actually a positive ceiling that we're called to as well. 
In fact, God tells his people just in the next book after Exodus, in Leviticus, after explaining so much of the law, he's talking about what not to do with your neighbor. And he says these wonderful words, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You didn't know that was in Leviticus, did you? But it is. Jesus, of course, picks up on it later and repeats it as a summation, actually, to the law. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here we are with the floor being dropped out from under us, but we're now seeing the ceiling soaring above us. What does it mean to love our neighbors? Well, in some ways, it means the same thing, to protect and to promote life in them. Right? When I come and I say to you, listen, I really want to get to know you, I want to, I want to spend time with you, I want to talk to you, I want to ask you some questions, and then I pull out my phone and I start answering my texts or scrolling through my Instagram feed, well, my actions are saying just the opposite, aren't they? I don't care about you. I don't think you matter. How do we treat people as if they matter? I think that's a helpful way to think about it. To th- To treat people as if they are made in the image of God really is to say, I'm going to treat people as if they matter. So my energy, my attention will be focused on them when I'm talking to them. My care will be directed toward them, not to myself. I might ask you more questions than I want to tell you about myself because I truly want to know you and care about you. And when we do things like slander or gossip or angry words, as Jesus says, we are actually committing little acts of murder, taking little bits of life from people rather than actually caring for, protecting, promoting the life of another. So how can we even proactively be about loving our neighbor, promoting life in them, building them up, seeing the image of God glorified, proclaimed in them, seeing their dignity affirmed, How can we be part of lifting up the marginalized in our society, whoever that is? It may be the person who's sitting right next to you. How can we see the image of God affirmed in the people around us? Now, I don't know about you, but right about now, I'm feeling pretty helpless with this command. How do we navigate life when the floor is being dropped out from under us and it feels like it is infinitely It continues to just fall and fall and fall because the further we dig, the more that we see. And we're looking at a ceiling that we're supposed to be aspiring to, and it seems infinitely high. How in the world would we ever aspire to that? How do you navigate this? Well, let me tell you a story that might actually help. I want you to picture yourself as a wife, about half of you. That won't be too hard. The other half is going to be a stretch. And think about you're married to this man, and his name is Mr. Law. And Mr. Law, by all accounts, is a good man. He's a moral man. He desires good things. But every day when Mr. Law comes home, he asks things like, so tell me about your day, and and did you finish all the things that I had given you to do today? And and did 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 you care for and treat the kids well, and did you teach them? And did you do all of the things that I told you to do today? Can we see your list? Let's see how many check boxes are on your list. And of course, in your life, you don't finish the check boxes. You don't always care for your kids well. You don't always love the people around you. You finish the day and you're feeling like, I actually didn't do anything today. 
But your husband, Mr. Law, comes in and he looks at you and he says, you are such a failure for not finishing all the things I've given you. You are such a failure for not training up our children the way that we talked about. You're such a failure and I'm so disappointed in you. And the worst part about it is, he's right. You didn't do it all. You did fail. But Mr. Law dies and you get a new husband. And his name is Mr. Grace. And Mr. Grace comes home every day and knows that you haven't completed the things you said you were going to complete and knows that the, 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 the stove, whatever's on the stove, is already burning and probably will burn even further and knows that the children are kind of running crazy and knows that your life is kind of a mess. And what he does is he sweeps you up into his arms and he says, I love you. I've chosen you. I've died for you, I've made you my own, and I will never leave you. Now, which one of those would motivate you <laughs> to want to love him in return? Of course, that is your story if you're a Christian, is that you have died to being married to the law, and you are now married to Jesus, who is Mr. Grace. And so it's good for us to just remember a few things, right, is that if you are a Christian if you belong to Christ and you drove your girlfriend to an abortion clinic, you are still married to Mr. Grace. And he looks at you every night and sweeps you up in his arms and he says, I chose you, I love you, I died for you, I will never leave you. And if you have said the most hurtful words to your children or your spouse, you are still married to Mr. Grace and he sweeps you up in his arms and he says, I chose you, I love you, I died for you, I will never leave you. And if you have said words of gossip about your friends that have hurt them, that probably will stay with them for years, then guess what? Mr. Grace is still your husband and he still says those same words to you. I love you, I chose you, I died for you, I will never leave you, you are mine. Friends, there is nowhere that we can run outside of the grip of Mr. Grace because Jesus has given himself for us. In fact, Jesus has been murdered for us. He himself was murdered to die for murderers like you and me. And you know, the way that we navigate that ever-falling floor, seeing our sin more deeply and deeply, is that we continually turn to his love and forgiveness. And we see that as deep as we think our sin is, his love and grace is more. And the way that we desire to love those around us is the same thing. We depend on him and his power and his love so that he might transform us into being able to love people in ways that we never even thought were possible. That's what Jesus does. He takes selfish, murderous hearts, he works them over, softens them with his grace, and by the power of his spirit, transforms us to be people who might actually lay down our lives for others rather than take them. Let's pray that God would be working in us to do that very thing even right now. Pray with me. Our Father in heaven, 
we confess again that we have murderous hearts. That, Lord, you love to take the broken and use it to put the pieces back together. Lord, you used Moses, who was a murderer. You used David, who was a murderer. And, Lord, you sent your son that he might be murdered by the hands of evil men. Lord, that we, even when we look in the mirror of the law and we look at our own hearts, we see that we too have nailed those nails in his hands and feet. We deserve the punishment, but you have decided not to give it to us. And Jesus has taken it instead. What glorious news this is. Let that beautiful truth transform us into people who now lay down our lives for those around us. Lord, I pray that we would be a church that loves, that we would be a church that promotes and protects life in every form, that we would be a church, Lord, who loves to proclaim the love of Jesus. And we pray that all by the power of your Spirit and in the name of your Son. Amen.